Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. Before we get into today's episode, let's hear a question from our All Audio Q Bank. You can get a ton of questions just like this one in our app available on iOS and Android to help you study on the go. You can learn more at insidetheboards.com app. A 37-year-old female presents to the office complaining of coughing up blood as well as blood in her urine. She is found to be positive for P. anca. A biopsy shows granulomas in her arterioles. Which other finding is most likely to be present? Is it A. Asthma B. Palpable purpura along her legs C. Frequent epistaxis, or is it answer choice D, Raynaud's phenomenon? And the correct answer is choice A, asthma. Churg-Strauss syndrome affects the small vessels of various organs, particularly the lungs. It is often associated with eosinophilia, asthma, P. anca, and granulomas in the small vessels. And now, here's today's episode. Hey guys, you're tuned into ITB Inside the Boards. My name is Eva Kondaker. I'm sure many of you heard my voice on here before. Today, I will be bringing you more medical education related topics, but specifically today, I have a special story because I have a very special guest here with me today that is going to be sharing a very beautiful, exciting, also scary personal journey. Um, I know her from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We're from the same hometown. And Arisha is actually a science student right now looking to get into medical school. Her interest in medicine sort of started from her personal life journey. And I'm so excited to have her here today to share her story. It is a very inspirational story. When she first told me the story, guys, it brought me to tears because the amount of strength and perseverance this woman has, it's incredible. And uh, Arisha, welcome to ITV's podcast. I know all of our listeners are excited to hear what you've been through. I will let you do the honors and introduce yourself and tell us what brings you here today. Hi, Eva. I would just like to start by thanking you for having me on here and, of course, inside the boards as well. I want to share my story uh, to hopefully give some strength and, and encourage people and hope out there to anybody else that needs it. For sure, for sure. And you know what? Your story needs to be told because I think that a lot of people can benefit from what you went through and maybe they have similar symptoms that they will face um, as if, God forbid, that they were diagnosed with something similar like this. I will let Arisha tell you guys what she was diagnosed with and um, kind of the journey she took. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was 16 years old, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. It was a ganglioglioma. Uh, I think I'm saying that correctly. Yes, and, you are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah. yeah, it was a stage one. It, it was a, a very difficult journey. Age puts a huge uh, reason on why it was. I feel like I had to grow up and I did not feel 16 any longer after that diagnosis. So um, to anyone that is perhaps going through this or uh, their loved one is going through this, I 
I hope to reach out to them. And it's kind of interesting because she was diagnosed at 16 years of age, but this is the crazy part. She actually started having seizures at a very, very young age. I'm talking seven years old, right, Arisha? Yeah, that was my very first complex partial seizure. Of course, as you mentioned, I was seven. So um, I just remember I was on the phone with a best friend of mine and I was looking at the window. Suddenly, the sun just got bigger and brighter. And next thing I knew, I was beside my mom and I was crying. And my mom just kept asking me, what's happening? What's happening? When we went to the doctors, um, they couldn't find anything, you know, and I, I don't blame them. I really did not describe my symptoms very well. And how can you? You're seven years old. Like, you don't expect a seven-year-old child to know what a seizure is. Or, like, how do you even explain your symptoms? When I go to the physician, when I go for a checkup, sometimes I have trouble explaining things. And I'm a doctor (laughs) myself. Sometimes it's very difficult when something is happening to you. It's hard to explain it to somebody else. And for a seven-year-old... I mean, I explained exactly what I just said to you to the doctor. I looked at her and I almost sounded happy. And I told her the sun got bigger and bigger and bigger. That's all I was able Mm -hmm. to explain to her. And then what happened following that? Following that, I didn't have another episode until I was 12 years old. I was in the seventh grade at this point. And it was just one episode. And so this is quite a while later. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember at that point when we went to the doctors, they told us, you know, it's most likely hormones. I don't remember the exact diagnosis, unfortunately. I'm so sorry uh, that they gave me at that time. However, I do remember them calling them fainting spells because I wasn't going fully unconscious. I guess something that occurs right before someone might might pass out. And so I had another one when I was 14. When that happened, you know, mom and I, we felt comfortable because it's it's been a year and a half to two years since the last one happened. And we know what they are now. They're fainting right. spells. All of these years between the age of seven up until you were like an adolescent, 14, turning, you know, a teenager, you were pretty okay. And you thought that you didn't have any seizures in between that time, right? Am I correct? I would have never guessed. I mean, first and foremost, when I heard the word seizures, the only thing I knew about seizures were grandma seizures. I didn't even know that title at that age. Right. Yeah. You went in when you're 14, you had what you thought were fainting spells that were happening. And tell us a little bit more about that. So between the age of seven to 14, nothing really happened. You were just growing up as a happy child, then at the age of 14, like this all of a sudden happens and you're scared. It's happening again. Tell us the whole scenario and what kind of happened. I mean, when it happened when I was 14, we, we ignored it. To be honest with you, we, you know, my mom just tried to comfort me and I went up to her actually. And I told her, Hey, I just had a fainting spell in my room and she comforted me and, and so on and so forth. It actually begun to get very scary when I was 15 turning uh, 16 years old. So now we are at the summer of 2011. So that July of 2011, I had two seizures in one month. And that was unusual because over a span of seven years, I, I had about just a handful, about three or four. And the fact that I had two in one month, I was scared. But again, I mean, I was a teenager. So I I also kind of just brushed it off. And you know, oh, those are just fainting spells. I kind of just put on my own doctor cap at that time, I guess. And and thought to myself, oh, I guess it's because I'm almost 16. You know, maybe more hormones is is the reason. And when you were having these, where were you? Like, were you like just at home or at school? How did the environment affect you? Tell us a little bit about that. 
I guess because I was at home, I was in a comfort zone. So thankfully, there was no risk of me falling down the steps. Coincidentally, every time it occurred, I feel like I was in a place where I can sit. It may have happened by the couch. Uh, quite honestly, I don't remember exactly yeah. uh, where they occurred. But uh, the one that I do remember that really stood out to me was uh, fast forward one more month, August of 2011. I was in my room. Mom and I were unpacking my suitcase. Uh, I came back from a trip and I just remember trying to pick up a top to unfold. And my mom was talking to me. Suddenly I can't hear her voice anymore. And this felt intense. And next thing you know, my mom is sitting beside me and she, she has tears in her eyes and I can hear her again. Slowly, I'm able to understand what she's saying. And I didn't realize that my face was covered in tears. I didn't even know I was crying. She asked me, what just happened? Was it your fainting spell? And I told her, yeah, that's what it was. But this was really scary. I, I started telling her the symptoms. I told her I, I could hear a voice in my head and I felt so scared. I really thought I was going to go fully unconscious this time. Fast forward another month. Now we're in September of 2011. And in just September alone, I had almost 40 in oh one month. God. I stopped counting after about 35 or 36 because it was yeah. exhausting. I was getting, truth be told, of course, I was scared. Yeah. Um, of course. Uh, yeah, it wasn't the problem that I wanted to have. I, I wanted to have the same problems as, as uh, other people of my age group. Mm -hmm. And I would just try to brush it off my shoulder. But of course, it started interfering with my education. And I, I would feel very tired. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mention that. But I would feel significantly tired after an episode where it would occur not for too long. But mm -hmm. um, it would be awful if I woke up to get ready for school and I'm brushing my teeth. And next thing you know, I, I have the episode, I'm, I'm rushing to my room to go sit down. Because that's what I know I need to do in case mm -hmm. I pass out. And I'm just feeling tired. And I don't want to get out of my bed. I don't want to go to school. Mm -hmm. However, yes. Uh, so stopped counting. Uh, I remember my mom and dad were encouraging me to go back to the doctors. I just, uh, I was so sure about it being a fainting spell as well that I felt that, you know, why should I go and take up other people's time when we already know what's wrong with me? I can empathize with that. And I find like, this is kind of the common viewpoint of many people that have, you know, certain illnesses, and they're less reluctant to go see the physician because they're like, well, I think I, I think I'll be okay until it gets really bad, right? Mm -hmm. So, so what was your turning point? What made you go and see a doctor? At this point, I had no choice because I had an episode in class and my teacher contacted the principal. The principal contacted an ambulance. They called an ambulance. And um, boy, oh boy, again, just a reminder, I was 16. So that was quite embarrassing. The attention that came from that was not what a 16-year-old wants. So they contacted my parents. My father met me in an emergency room. And I remember the fear in his eyes. And I just remember thinking to myself, I can't believe that happened in class. That's that's really all I was thinking about. And, and I can't believe that. I, I wondered what um, people around me or my teacher saw that made them call an ambulance. You know, it, it did make me wonder how serious it may have looked. Yeah. So you were very scared of how you were perceived by the community, your friends, your family. You were, you were more concerned about how the perception would be than actually what was happening. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's completely understandable, too. I mean, this is such a delicate situation. There's so many things happening. And being a teenager on top of that, 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's the worst. <laughs> it really is the worst. It really yes. is the worst. Because you know everyone's going to be talking about it. And quite honestly, I didn't want people to ask me about it. What am I going to say? Oh, it's fainting spells due to hormones. You know, I, it wasn't something that I felt like I an explanation that I owed to people. And perhaps at that point, I felt that way because I was starting to get scared because I had so many episodes within a one month span. I feel mm. like in my gut, I knew it was something more serious, but it just because I had it in my head, oh, I've already been to the doctors about this twice. You know, once it was nothing, the second time it was a fainting spell. We know what it is. Unfortunately, there's no medication for that. So why bother? And yeah, I guess adding on uh, grade 11 uh, oh, life, gosh. high school life. <laughs> yeah. Then what happened? Because this is where everything kind of takes a different turn, right? And this was so uncalled for. So the doctor comes in finally um, you know, he's, he's checking my heartbeat and asking me pretty simple questions, how I'm feeling. And I remember I was looking forward to seeing the doctor because at this mm. point, you know, I'm annoyed too. And, and uh, I, I do want this problem to be resolved. I remember at this point, my father was in the room and I explained my symptoms and I said exactly uh, uh, what I explained to you earlier, sorry. And uh, that was I hear a voice in my head. I don't remember what the voice is saying. I can never remember what the voice is saying, but I get really scared and then I just start crying and I need to sit down. It feels like I'm losing balance. Um, everyone else around me says that I'm asking mom, mom, uh, and I'm looking for my mom. That's who I'm constantly calling for. And uh, uh, according to my friends and family, this lasts about 30 seconds to a minute, no longer than that. And um, it's sort of just regaining and understanding what just happened. That might take a couple more minutes. That is exactly what I explained. And I and, and I also went on to explain, but oh, I do want you to know, I have seen a doctor in the past about this. And they explained to me it's fainting spells. I guess the doctor at that point honed into the that specific thing that you said, which is hearing voices, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm assuming it kind of took a turn as this was more of a psychiatric case. So they were looking to diagnose you with schizophrenia. Am I correct? I believe so. I I don't remember what happened between um, the point I just left off on and the doctor asking my father to exit the room, but he did ask me a few more questions. Eventually he asked me if he could talk to me one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. I was completely okay with that. Mm -hmm. And he, he did begin to ask me a couple more questions and the questions were pretty unrelated, but he was asking me about personal views and, and sort of, uh, practices at home. And I guess what else I do. Uh, mm -hmm. I just remember he was nodding his head. He had a bit of a smile on his face whenever I answered those questions. I, and I thought to myself, wait, what does this have to do with any of this? What mm -hmm. does this have to do with fainting spells? And next thing you know, he said that he will refer me to a psychiatrist. And I remember I felt like my heart fell into my stomach. I okay. I felt kind of embarrassed. Uh, again, keeping in mind I'm 16 and I'm thinking, oh, he thinks I'm psycho. What? Yeah. And I knew what he was saying was incorrect. But I also had to remind myself that I'm 16. What can I say to this person that has years and years of education and experience on me what can I say you're kind of trying to process at this point what is happening to you like am I 
mentally ill? Like, like, do I have schizophrenia? Like, I'm, I, again, I'm using that word schizophrenia, not that you were diagnosed with it, but it's painting that picture, right? Yeah. That's kind of where I'm assuming that it's going or... I, I believe so. I didn't really let it get that far anyways. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. I, I remember I took the paper from him. I didn't, I didn't even look at that paper. I just remember storming out of there. I kept it together in front of the doctor. But the second I left that room, I remember my father asked me what happened. And I was so angry. I, I just started yelling at my dad in the hospital. And uh, we get to the car and I'm still yelling. And all I kept saying was, why did you bring me here? I told you I didn't need to go back to the doctors. I told you, I told you. And he kept saying, will you tell me what he said? And I remember I just put the paper on my dad's lap and I told him like, I'm psycho. I'm crazy. Like what if I'm possessed? Like then I started thinking of things all of a sudden because you know, I'm thinking, well, why am I hearing voices in my head? He, he could be right. And of course I, I didn't know any better at that time. There's so many things that could be happening at that point. Uh, You know, schizophrenia, it's a diagnosis, but there's so many things that kind of look like schizophrenia, but isn't schizophrenia. But regardless, you knew you didn't have a mental illness. Like you knew that this was not a psychiatric problem. And even like going back in time to 2011, like mental illness was not as spoken about as it is Mm -hmm. today. It was it was very stigmatized at that time. So to think that I'm mental, like I didn't even have sympathy for myself. And I was thinking again, like, what am I even going to tell my friends when they ask me like, Hey, what happened? Are you okay? I was so humiliated. I was full of anger. But then I remember at one point I even sat down with my mom and I asked her like, what if I am possessed? Like, do you think that's true? And she had tears in her eyes. And I remember she was just nodding her head and and she didn't say no, but she was just nodding her head. And uh, she's like, we'll figure it out. Don't worry. We'll figure it out. But even that kind of scared me. Like, wait, maybe my mom also thinks I'm mental or possessed or something. So at this point, like you were convinced that this was some kind of a demonic possession. Is that what you kind of, oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he did also ask me, right, about my beliefs and okay. how much I do um, practice. So I come from a Islamic background. And right. so he did ask me these questions. And of course, I responded, yes, I am Muslim. And no, I don't pray too often. Um, I, I'm not a very regularly practicing one. However, yes, I do come from a Islamic faith and background. And yeah, I that's, that's sort of where it went downhill. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So when you came home, And you're trying to process all of this. And obviously, like you were saying, you're telling your mom and you're crying and your mom's just trying to comfort you. How did you even like digest this information or did you even digest it? We're like, what was your next course of action, really? I mean, I was just left questioning. That's Mm -hmm. that was really about it. I remember laying in bed that night and I was I was really wondering what it could be, what could be going on. And I guess to comfort myself, all of a sudden, I just started telling myself, oh, that doctor's wrong. You know what? It is fainting spells. Like, I just need to go back to another doctor so that they can look at my my history and, and see that it's fainting spells. However, I was quite honestly afraid to go back to the doctors. So then what happened? So what did you do, really? Following that, my mom, you know, she dragged my butt to the doctors. I remember I was so angry at her and because uh, she didn't even tell me that she booked the appointment. She picked me up right after school. She said, we're going to the doctors. And I was holding back my tears, but I was just raging at my mother and, and, and yelling in the car right there. Why, why, why? I'm not ready. And finally, we arrived to the doctor's office and I was sitting there with my arms 
crossed and, and putting on a little bit of my 16 year old attitude. And when he asked me what my symptoms are, I described the same thing with so much attitude. Uh, yeah. Oh, I hear a voice in my head and I don't know what it's saying. Same thing all over again. Mm-hmm. I remember he wasn't looking at me. He was just writing down. He was writing down all the things that I was saying. And he was listening to me very carefully, which was comforting. That's good. Yeah. That's very good. Yeah. Suddenly I couldn't show attitude. He wasn't even looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you were in good hands at that point. Yeah. Okay. I was. I certainly was. And I'm very, very grateful for that. So I'm done explaining my symptoms and he's taking his time. He's finishing up his notes. He puts his pen down. He looks up at me and he says, so to me, it sounds like you are experiencing complex partial seizures when I'm thinking seizures. So at this point, all I know is when you have a seizure, you have muscle spasms, grandma seizures. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. all I ever right. had seen in movies or TV shows. And so I'm thinking, what? It can't be seizures. And I remember asking him, are you sure? And he had the biggest smile on his face. Like I asked him, are you sure it could be seizures? I don't shake or anything like that. And he, he had a smile on his face and he told me, oh, there are so many different kinds of seizures out there, sweetheart. Uh, and I was like, what kind did you say again? And he wrote it down on a little sticky note, complex partial seizures. And suddenly I was excited. I was so happy when I got that diagnosis. Just the fact that somebody listened to you, somebody took your symptoms and was able to tell you exactly what was going on with you. That must have felt amazing, right? Then he he said, uh, I'm going to refer you to a good friend of mine. He's a neurologist. He he started telling me about his education path and how much he has accomplished. And um, my mom and I obviously felt very confident because, uh, you know, he's he's a well-accomplished specialist out there. And uh, we felt like we were in trusted hands. I remember going home that night, searching up complex partial seizures. And I believe the first result that popped up was epilepsy.com. And it was this website that had so much information about seizures. And I was able to select the categories. I remember I went through all the categories of the different kinds of seizures there are. Finally, when I got to complex partial seizures, and it was describing symptoms, I thought, oh my God, oh my God, this is it. Perfect. I found it. And then there was comments below and people were sharing their stories. And I was like, I have what this person has. Like I was amazed. (laughs) Yeah. Scroll down even more. You can see the causes. And I remember reading all the causes such as concussion, uh, uh, cancer. I just remember briefly going through those. Uh, For me specifically, it was concussion. I was like, oh, I did hit my head pretty hard that one time. So maybe it's from that. I just started completely self-diagnosing. Right, right, yeah. uh, I remember I went running to my mom. I was so excited. I'm like, mom, remember that one time I hit my head really, really hard against the table when I fell, blah, 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 blah. I was a little kid. (sighs) And I remember my mom wasn't able to smile at all the things that I was saying, but she would try. And I was like, well, you, did you know you can actually have complex partial seizures from X, Y, Z reason? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very comfortable. So now we're in October of 2011, end of October of 2011. And I, I finally met my neurologist and uh, he was a very kind and caring gentleman. He, I remember every time we would visit him, he would always greet my family uh, with plenty of enthusiasm. And uh, and that's a significant point for a reason. Of course. And, 
I remember he also gave me the same reassurance that, okay, these are complex partial seizures. I'm going to prescribe you this medication. Uh, He explained how many times a day I have to take it twice a day, 12 hours apart. So pick a time. I I was like, okay, I'll go with 7am and 7pm. Is that okay? He's like, yes, that sounds great. Take it regularly, so on and so forth. And uh, you're going to have an MRI. You'll get a a letter in the mail and I'll have a follow-up with you after the MRI. I cannot express to you enough the excitement I had in me. Um, I remember when I first got my medication, I was so excited to take it. Obviously, over time, changes begun to happen, such as weight gain. Again, an emphasis on the fact that I was 16 and, you know, slowly I can't fit into much of my clothes and... I kind of started to hate taking that medication, even if it was for my seizures. I remember I didn't know how to express this to anybody and uh, I kept it in, but sometimes I would even skip. That's completely understandable. And, you know, a lot of people do do that, especially when you're a teenager and you're seeing the side effects, you're gaining weight and you're like, I don't want to be, I don't want to gain weight. I don't want to look this way. Even though you know that medication is important for you, you don't want to take it. You know, this is this is very common. And it does happen even not only to teenagers, but even people that are older, you know, so that's understandable, Arisha. You know, there's a point in the story, um, because I've heard it from her before, where it just made me break down. But tell us more, Arisha. Um, So you know, you, you were skipping out on the medication, then what happened? Uh, skipping out on the medication, another huge reason why I did that was because after three weeks of continuously taking the medication, my seizures did return. The intensity and the frequency had decreased, but the fact that they were happening at all, again, I'm 16 and I'm thinking, if I'm supposed to take this medication, it's supposed to turn off the problem. It's supposed to solve the problem. I shouldn't be having seizures anymore. What kind of medication is this? So there was multiple factors uh, going into why I didn't want to uh, continue that prescription. But of course I did. I, I, I eventually mom caught me. So I did um, fast forward to January of 2012. My MRI scan was January 5th, but unfortunately we confused the dates, mixed them up. And uh, we thought it was on the 7th. I remember we got to the university of Alberta hospital on time. And, <laughs> and um, so we had to reschedule it. And this time it was actually March 7th of 2012. I got to speak to my nurse in the meantime, and I remember I did mention to her, yes, the frequency has decreased, uh, however they are occurring. She just told me to, she encouraged me to keep taking them. And uh, this is probably where everything changed for me. Um, March 7th of 2012 comes around and we are heading to my MRI scan. Uh, keeping in mind, I know what like an x-ray is and I've, I've had an x-ray before, I kind of just imagined that um, it's similar to that, but I guess I can see my brain. You didn't even know what that was, right? I have no idea. No idea. So we get there and Uh we enter the waiting room. The doors open and all I see around me is young children and adults bald. And that was a very scary moment. I started to wonder, wait a minute, why am I here? I haven't seen this before. This is not what it looks like when you go for an expert or or, or an ultrasound. I I hadn't had an ultrasound, but I had seen what, you know, it looks like in movies. I could see how sick the people there were. I mean, what really was getting to me too, was just seeing the children. 
all of a sudden, nothing made sense anymore. I was so quiet in that waiting room. And we were there for quite some time. I want to say about half an hour to 40 minutes. I remember looking at my mom and I mean, she was trying to stay strong for me, of course, but I could see how broken she was as well. I had to go in, change into a gown. Now I'm closer to the MRI machine, but um, I'm, I'm not even in, in the room yet where it's, it's going to occur. And now I'm seeing a lot of young kids around me. And I remember I was sitting on a chair waiting for my name to be called. And this little boy comes up to me. I'm terrible with age, but let's say he was three or four years old. Right. He comes up to me and he puts his hand on my hand and he says, don't worry, they'll give you headphones because it's really loud, but the headphones will help you. It won't be too loud. Don't worry. And I looked at him and again, he was, he was bald and he, he looked so ill. And I just looked up at his parents and they were giving me a smile, but they also looked so broken. And yeah. I mean, I, I was so scared because I, I understood yeah, that, yeah. that he probably has cancer and I, right. I didn't understand why I was there. I, I was like, wait a minute. I'm having complex partial seizures and I had a concussion. Right. <laughs> no, what am yeah. I doing? Yeah. <laughs> so at that point, did you feel like, oh my God, like, do I have cancer? Uh, quite honestly, I didn't know what to think. I, I did not know what to think at all. I just remember feeling very nervous and I, had doubts, I started to wonder, like, is there something else that I, I I don't know about? And my name was called for the MRI scan. And everyone in there was so, so kind and gentle. Uh, you know, here's, here's the button that you need to push in case you have a seizure. Here are some headphones, it, it'll minimize the sound, it does get really loud. This is your first one. Let us know if you need anything. Uh, this is my first MRI. So it was almost an, actually it was a little bit more than an hour and a half long. Each scan was, uh, 27, 27 and 29 minutes. And I got breaks in between, of course, all three of those. Yeah. I just remember laying there and, uh, they asked me through my headphones if I would like to listen to music. I said, yes. They asked me if I have a preference for radio station. I picked one and, I will never remember what song was playing because at this point I was just crying. I just had tears coming out of my eyes and it wasn't even for myself. It was for what I just saw. I can't believe a little kid because I'm 16 and I'm so wise and know everything. About <laughs> <this world. laughs> and I thought, how could he be the one comforting me? I mean, he, he looks so ill. I should have been the one comforting him. And the whole time I was wondering, why am I here? Why am I here? Finally, the scans were over. I remember coming out and looking at my mom and she looked like she was so ready to cry. I mean, I know she was trying to hide it, but she did not do a very good job <laughs> hiding it. Um, I can only imagine what she was going through. You know, it's, it's one thing your experience was traumatic, but a parent's perspective. Oh, God. I, I don't ever want to know. That's like a parent's worst nightmare. I remember when we exited uh, the hospital and we're heading to the car. Finally, we're out in the open. And suddenly my mom starts asking me, that took a really long time. What, what happened? And I told her that there were three separate scans. I, I just explained to the best of my ability. One was 27 minutes and the other two were 29 minutes. And she was like, 
that's really long. And she's like, I mean, like I was waiting here for quite some time. And I was like, yeah, I know. And then I explained to her what the scan was like and that I got headphones and that little emergency button. And, um, and then I just started crying my eyes out and she, she was keeping it together and she was asking me what happened, sweetheart, what happened? Talk to me. And I told her about the little boy. And then I asked her, I was like, everyone there looked really sick. Hey, like, did you notice that? And she didn't say anything. She didn't nod her head, nothing. She was just looking at me. And I was like, like, they all kind of look like they have cancer, right? Like they're all bald. I remember I told her, I'm going to call the nurse practitioner tomorrow. Just like why I needed that. You know, why did I need an MRI scan? And so I called my nurse the next day and I think she could tell I was pretty nervous about that. And and she told me like, they need to do that uh, just to rule out uh, any other possibilities, but I should be fine. And and they'll see me in two months. So she said a lot of other things that really comforted me too. And she asked me, you know, how's the medication going? How are you feeling? She was asking me lots of questions. How's school? Have you lightened your load? Things like that. Um, is there anything else I can help you with? And I did feel very calm after I got off that phone call with her. The next day or two, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but we get another phone call and they asked me to come back for a second MRI. Mm-hmm. And this was less than a week after the first one that was on March 7th. Because I was so calm after talking to my nurse, I was oddly excited. I know I sound very strange, but oddly excited for the second one. Well, she she was a good nurse because the way she handled the situation was impeccable. Like she really did a good job of comforting you. And that takes a certain type of skill that takes, you know, a lot of listening to the patient. And I think that's why you were excited. So for sure, she did. She did an incredible job. I mean, I'm very lucky to have the team that I did and uh, the team that I, you know, I trust. Mm-hmm. And yes, she was so comforting and, and wonderful to talk to. And she made me laugh and she laughed with me. Uh, anyways, the second one happens this time. It was just a little different. I remember they put an IV in. they were explaining to me how they're going to use a little bit of dye, let them know if I feel any dizziness and so on and so forth. Oh boy. Yeah. So this was a turning point. This was March 28th, 2012. I believe this was a Wednesday and this was spring break of the eleventh uh, grade. I remember the car ride to this appointment. I was uh, listening to a very popular radio station here in Edmonton, and I was singing along to every song. I was so happy that I'm finally going to a doctor's appointment where I've gotten my diagnosis. I did think it was a little strange that I'm going, mm-hmm. you know, less than a month after, uh, mm-hmm. even though my nurse had told me they probably won't see me for another two months. But I was so happy. I was thinking like, oh my God, they're going to give me this new medicine. And all of a sudden I'm never going to have seizures again. Problem solved. Go back to being 16 and live my life. My mom, on the other hand, she was like praying the whole car right there. Yeah, she, she was, Yeah, she was scared. She, she was, looked terrified. I remember I got into the room. I'm I'm here for the appointment now. And I believe there was two residents in there. They greeted me and they were really, really kind. And they just asked me the simple questions, follow my finger. Do you Mm -hmm. feel dizzy? Little things like that. And slowly we, while we were waiting for uh, my neurologist and my nurse, we were having small talk as well. I think they were asking me about spring break and it was really comforting. Everything was going so well. And I was still full of excitement. 
I was so excited to see my neurologist. And as I mentioned earlier, he would always enter and greet us with such enthusiasm. But this time it was different. I remember he walked in, he greeted us and it was a short smile. And I remember thinking like, oh, that was weird. Well, maybe he's just really busy. The mood was completely different. Okay. Okay. I see. My nurse came in right behind him and she Mm -hmm. also took a seat. Like I said, like she made me laugh and would laugh with me, but Mm. suddenly she seemed like such a different person and she was, she was smiling at me, but she was giving the most gentle smile. I remember I was just like, you know, playing with my thumbs and, and just kind of waiting for to hear something. It was, it was very silent. And typically, whenever he was pulling something up, he would have small talk with us, but it was completely silent in the room. He pulls up my MRI scan. He explains to me how to read an MRI scan. The left side of the screen is the right side of your brain, vice versa. He then, uh, I remember he zoomed into the left side and he explained to me, this is your left temporal lobe. This right here is your hippocampus. Next thing you know, he says, uh, this right here. As he points to that mark, he said, this right here is a ganglioglioma brain tumor. And after that, I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't hear a single word. I could see everything. I could see that he was still talking. And then I remember he, he turned and looked at me. And he was just looking at me and he looked really sad. And then I looked at the two residents and like they didn't have a straight face either. They also looked sad. And I I look at my nurse, Mm -hmm. she's looking sad. I look at my mom, she had no emotion on her face. All of a sudden I can hear again and I was crying. I, I was crying out loud and I didn't even know that. I didn't realize I was crying. And... Even though I could hear, you know, like how it was like the classic ugly crying out loud, even though I could hear that I was crying like that, I couldn't stop. I just kept looking. I did the same thing. Look at my neurologist, look at the residents, look at the nurse, look at my mom, continue. It was like a cycle. Looking back now, it's it's crazy to think that that was my reaction. The diagnosis is a very, um, you know, complex diagnosis and it's just, it's traumatizing. Yes, it's a benign tumor. And for those uh, of you that don't know what benign means, it's basically just an abnormal collection of cells that's non-cancerous, right? So that was something that you had to digest. You had to figure out, okay, what is malignant? What does that word even mean? And what does benign mean? Is this going to kill me? You know, so that was very important for you to understand. But regardless, whether it's benign or malignant, you were in that moment, the whole earth just kind of opened up and you just feel like you got swallowed in, right? Absolutely. It feel like time stopped. I remember he asked the residents to leave the room and they were waving goodbye at me and I was waving back at them while crying and they they tried to have a smile on their face and they left the room and I kept crying. He asked me if I need some more time. Uh, I was like, no, no. What does this mean? Uh, you said tumor? I have cancer? He was like, so there are two types of brain tumors, just like you explained to me. He explained the difference between benign and malignant. And it was confusing to understand at first. 
I was still comforted at the same time. All I knew at this point about tumors was cancer. And all I knew about cancer was my sister's keeper. And that was like the most traumatizing <laughs> thing. I, I know we're laughing about it, but at the same time, I'm glad we can find humor in the worst points in our lives, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's incredible that you say this, that, you know, how you view cancer versus how what even malignant meant to you or benign meant to you. You didn't you didn't know. And rightfully so. Who does? I mean, if you're not in the medical field or have ever even opened up a medical textbook, how would you even know these things? Right. On top of that being 16, how would you know these things? So then what happened from there? How did you how did you go on from there? He was explaining to me that this really shouldn't be anything that I should worry about too much. It's it's going to be okay. He was trying to comfort me again, explain to me that it's it's truly not that severe. However, we will have to go forward with a brain surgery. And I cut him off right there. <laughs> uh, brain surgery. Yeah. And, and I just started crying again. But but this time I was listening. I was willing to listen. And he was like, yes. So that way we can confirm, I guess, that it's benign and not rule out any cancer. I remember uh, looking at my nurse and she was, she was quite emotional at that point as well. And mm-hmm. she was telling me like, sweetie, I promise you, like there's a lot worse and this is actually not too bad. I, I'm not right. Exactly it's what fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Basically yeah. just kind of letting you know that if it was cancer, it has a potential to obviously spread and cause havoc all over the body, right? But because this wasn't, this is something that could be excised, meaning it could be cut out with brain surgery. Yeah, yeah. No, they even explained Mm -hmm. to me like how, you know, it it can, for some people, if it's cancerous, it can spread down the spine. I remember they told me that and I was like, whoa, like, okay, I'm I'm glad to know like that's not what I have. And uh, so they did try their best to explain it to 16 year old me. From there, all the tests begun, specifically March 28th, 2012. I remember the way my day started and the way my day ended was very different. I no longer had that excitement, even though I knew I'm lucky that I'm not dealing with what's much worse out there. I was just still wondering, like, but why me? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've already put on weight. Am I going to lose all my hair now, too? Because I have to get a brain surgery. And, oh, my God, I have to get a brain surgery. Like, what's going to happen with school? Like, I I just had all these questions going through my head. You know, you just went from getting diagnosed with a seizure to being told that you have a mass in your brain, now to being told that you have to go under the knife and yeah. have brain surgery. Like that's yeah. a lot of information to take in for anybody. So let's fast forward a little bit into as you're preparing for that time when you're going to have to have brain surgery, how did you prepare? What did you have to tell yourself? What did you go through? Yeah. I mean, at this point I started to have a a little bit of experience uh, in the hospital because I did have a telemetry May of 2012 and uh, I was in there the whole time. I was in the stallery actually. And I believe I I was the oldest person in the stallery at that time. And that was crushing. I was in a room by myself with, uh, you know, all the stickers Mm -hmm. and wires attached to my head. And and, uh, there was no windows in my room because it's a stallery. And if a child hospital outside yeah 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 Uh, I could hear kids screaming and crying why did you cut shave off my head like after they wake up from a nap I look so ugly and just screaming and crying at the top of their lungs and 
I would just quietly cry listening to that stuff. Thankfully, I had a lot of support by my side and uh, I had great friends and family always keeping me company. Yeah. So because I had been in that hospital environment for about three weeks, I was um, oddly to say a little bit more comfortable. Fast forward in July or June of 2012, we received a letter in the mail and it had the date of my brain surgery, August 13th, 2012, almost 10 years. Oh my goodness. I remember in case it isn't completely obvious by now, (laughs) my coping mechanism that entire time was humor. You're very mature. You're very strong. And honestly, Arisha, like, I don't even know how I would be in this situation. The fact that you you even went through this and your coping mechanism was humor, that's incredible. Good for you. I mean, you're you're strong. I yeah, I didn't realize that I was strong. I I thought I was just being goofy or something and I just didn't want to see anyone else sad. I remember I, I had to break the news. Unfortunately, my father was in Calgary for a business conference and so um I called him after uh the diagnosis was given to me of the brain tumor itself and and he asked me what happened. And I, I told him like, okay, I have two things to tell you. I have good news and I have bad news. And he said, okay. And I was like, I'll start with the bad news. I have a brain tumor. And he was silent. And I was like, but the good news is that I have a brain. And and it was like, silly <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, and so that's how I was for, up until, yes, from March all the way to August. However, the day that my parents uh, received the letter and they opened it and they called me up to their room and I remember they were talking with me and we were having such a happy conversation. I have no clue what we were talking about, but they were like, so a letter came in the mail and the date for your brain surgery has come in and it's going to be on August 13th. And I remember I was like smiling and looking at them, but all of a sudden my chest felt heavy and I I couldn't believe it. I'm actually going to have a brain surgery because it's been some time now since the telemetry too, right? Right. And I thought to myself, uh, you know, keep it together, keep it together. But I just burst into tears and they're like, what? Like, but you love to laugh. Like what's going on? You know, talk mm-hmm. to us. And I just cried. They're like, are you scared? And I was like, I don't know. I don't think so. I just can't believe this is real. I started asking questions like, do you think I ever did anything really bad to deserve any of this? And I can't believe my parents were strong enough to to answer these questions, but boy, oh boy, I'm very grateful that they gave me the reassurance that I needed. And, um, they were just explaining, you know, sometimes life gives you challenges and, uh, you know, whether it's, it's God or whatever anyone believes, mm-hmm. but that, uh, you, you can conquer these challenges. We believe in you and, and God wouldn't challenge you if he didn't think that you wouldn't yeah. be able to fight this and overcome this. And, uh, things like that did really help. You have incredible parents and, you know, you are an incredible, incredible woman. I know I've said it a million times, but I will repeat it another million times because I think that it takes a certain type of strength, a certain type of person to be able to come out of this and keep smiling the way you are. Let's fast forward into when you did have that surgery. 
Yeah. So, um, I remember I had to fast for 12 hours and, uh, uh, my best friend was staying over that night. I, I didn't get to eat that macaroni and cheese and so on and so forth. No water. And I was getting really thirsty. Woke up the next morning. I think we woke up at five, uh, right before leaving. I, I kept telling my mom like, okay, I just need one sip of water, just one sip of water, please. I'm so yeah. thirsty. And my parents were just like, okay, we're not looking. And I did take yeah. a sip. Uh, <laughs> do not do that. When you went into the surgery, you were all prepped, ready to go. What were the thoughts that were running through your head at that point when you put on the I gowns? Not the entire car ride to the, mm-hmm. the hospital, I was making jokes. I remember like looking at my parents. I'm like, you guys seem down as we're approaching a McDonald's. You should get a happy meal. <laughs> <laughs> if you saw me that morning, you would not have thought I was going for a brain surgery. Yeah. yeah. And we get to the hospital and as we're pulling up, I see, I see a little little mini crowd of people that look familiar with balloons mm-hmm. and a really big poster. And then all of a sudden I realized those were my friends at this point. Aww. It was really hard not to cry. I was truly fighting my tears. I got out of the car and I don't know whatever joke I made at that point, but uh, I was hugging all of them and I was so glad that they were there. At this point, yes, we check in. We're all in the waiting room. My mom's like praying and crying the entire time. My dad's uh keeping it calm, staying cool, being the cool dad. Um, my great aunt was there as well. My grandfather was in town, but he was at home with my brother who was nine years old at that time. I remember around me in the stallery, I mean, there were babies who were crawling and I heard their names being called one by one mm-hmm. and their parents actually had to pick them up. And that was hitting me really hard. It was hard to make a joke at that point. I was just wondering like, okay, yeah, I'm 16. All right. Like, but what did that approximately one-year-old, two-year-old baby right, do, do deserve this? Those are some difficult questions that your brain can't even wrap around. I mean, I can't even wrap around answering that. So then when you did go into that room and they obviously told you that they have to make you go to sleep for a bit How did you feel about that? Were you scared that you weren't going to wake up? Because that is something that, you know, I've heard from other patients when, you know, when I did my surgery rotation, a lot of the patients would be like, well, am I going to wake up after this? Like, what's going to happen to me? Do you know what I mean? So like, did you ever feel like that? Yeah. So at this point, my name was called, everyone got up and I get into the elevator with the, with the nurse. And she said, if, if any parent or guardian would like to come along, they can, my mom's like pushing through everyone. And I'm like, no, 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 I would really like to go on my own. Uh, I'll sign autographs after. And finally those elevator doors closed and I turned towards my nurse and I was like, can I cry now? And she was like, oh my God, of course. And she hugged me and I was just crying my eyes out on her shoulder. And I'm like, thank you so much. I really needed that. She's like, I would have never guessed you need to cry. You are so full of life and energy, sweetheart. I I couldn't even believe that it was you who was coming in for a brain surgery. And I was like, I can't believe it either. Like I was still trying to crack a joke here and there. The doors open, the elevator doors open again. And now I'm seeing the surgery room and I'm like, whoa, this is exactly what it looks like in movies. <laughs> <laughs> Lo and behold, that surgery went perfectly. And you had s- some incredible surgeons that were on your team. 
Yes, yes. Uh, terrific, terrific team. And um, uh, my surgery, thank God, went very well. Um, I remember it was supposed to be seven hours, but I believe they completed it in five. And at this point, I'm in the ICU. When I woke up, uh, I, I could see a nurse sitting right beside me. And I looked around and I was able to observe that I'm in a hospital. And yeah. uh, I could hear a baby crying in the background. I mean, we all got to keep in mind that I just got out of brain surgery and I'm, I'm yeah. pretty drugged up at this point. And yeah. I thought, oh my God, I had a baby. <laughs> yeah, you completely forgot everything. You just you just fast forwarded through a portal in your mind and you literally thought that you were not 16 anymore or 17, whatever age you were at that time, you were literally a mother. That, yeah, no, yeah. I thought I, I thought I was like another sixteen and pregnant. I'm like, oh, oh. I, was so I was like, don't call my parents, don't tell anybody. Like, is it a boy or a girl? Like, I was so, oh my gosh, I was just yeah. going off like crazy. But, anyways, um, uh, I saw family um, one by one come in. The one that I remember the best was when I opened my eyes and it was my nine year old brother. I I said his name. I'm like Omar, and he goes, uh, he goes Arisha, and I was like, what are you doing here? And he says, I want to tell you that I love you. And I'm like, oh, I love you too. And then I passed right out. Mm -hmm. Uh, woke up again. And this time it was, it was my surgeon and he was asking me a few questions. And then he explained to me that I just had a brain surgery and boy, was I relieved because I did not want that baby. to <laughs> You weren't uh, there to deliver a baby or you didn't have a baby. You just, you had brain surgery, which at this point was more comforting than becoming a mother. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got it. You got it. After that, when I was in the hospital and the stallery again, I remember the nurse did come in eventually and, um, you know, she told me it's, it's time for you to go boop. She brought, uh, you probably know better. Mm -hmm. It looked like a, like a metallic tray. I right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like a, like a little bedpan. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And she, she told me I can just use that. Or if I'm more comfortable going to the, the bathroom, that's okay too. She'll be right there. Uh, I was like, yeah, no, I'm going to the bathroom. I am not using that thing. <laughs> and I get in there and she was like, do you need me to come in? I'm like, no, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And I close the door. I turn on the lights. I close the door. I turn around and I saw myself for the first time after the brain surgery. I saw myself in the mirror and I just started crying my eyes out. I mean, I just want you to picture what my face looked like. My, my head was wrapped in a Band-Aid, covered in blood. There was still dried up blood on my face here and there. Not, not, not a whole lot, but mostly the whole left side of my face looked bruised and, and swollen. And I was so sad and and i i mean obviously again like i'm still on morphine so i i'm not even paying attention to what i went through what i conquered none of that is on my mind I'm, and now i'm i'm truly this you know little 16 year old who can't believe she looks like that i i went on to obviously just yeah use the bathroom and come out and i i was really really upset and i asked the nurse how long will this last and and she was trying to comfort me as well and because I was on morphine, I was quite honest. And I just told her, I'm like, I'm so ugly now. I'm so ugly. And she was telling me, no, sweetheart, you are not ugly. You know who you remind me of? You remind me of Wonder Woman. And it made me feel better. I, I Thankfully, I passed out. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's it's amazing when you have an incredible team of doctors and nurses, how much of a change 
that can bring to the whole quality of your health and just even your mindset. So this is an incredible story. You're an incredible woman. What you went through, it's not every day everybody has brain surgery. It's not every day that, you know, you get a diagnosis like this and you have to kind of alter your life to live with something like this. So, you know, I'm really honored that you chose ITB to share your story. Really honored to call you my friend. And you're such an amazing person. You're a beautiful girl. I can see an amazing career ahead of you. Uh, And I hope that you do choose medicine because I think you'll make an incredible physician, especially with what you've gone through. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eva. That means a lot coming from you. And again, I'm very grateful that I I got this platform to share my story. Um, I hope it reached out to anyone who may be going through something similar or their loved one is going through uh, something similar. I I hope that you can kind of see a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, This is honestly what inspired me to go into medicine, having that patient perspective. I'm very excited to learn a lot more and uh, I'm grateful for all of this. I cannot thank you enough. Thank you so, so much. You're definitely welcome. And you know what? Um, This is just the beginning for you. So I'm excited (laughs) to see the amazing things you do. And I cannot wait till you become a clinician yourself. So Arisha, thank you so much for coming on. I hope that we can work together in the future. I hope to see you soon with more incredible stories. Um, If anybody uh, wants to reach out to us, feel free to email us. Uh, You can email me directly at eva at insidetheboards.com. And you can follow us on Instagram. It's inside the boards and Twitter, all of those social media devices. Feel free to let me know what you thought of the story. We look forward to sharing more experiences like this in the future. So see you guys until next time.